The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. This week on Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview, we talk with Boogie Check radio legend John Records Landecker. You're in the Radio Hall of Fame. You're also featured in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, kind that's of, cool. Yep, that's correct. Kind for, of a big deal. Yeah, for all the achievements you had, how does being on our Minutia Men podcast rank? Is that... There, nothing could be closer to... <laughs> Minutia Men, Celebrity Interview, an OPI show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. There's nothing closer to my heart. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you along here on the Car Guys Report. I'm Mark Vernon, Lou Costable taking the day off. And in Lou's place, we've got a very special guest. I would like to welcome Scott Crane to the uh, Car Guys Report. Thanks so much, Scott, for stopping by on this snowy day here at the uh, Car Guys Report studios. Glad to be here, Mark. Good, thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, Scott and I have known each other for a couple of car show seasons, and I wanted to uh, get him on the uh, program because he's a consummate car guy, as uh, I am, and we tend to share kind of a similar um, taste in the cars that we collect, and uh, Scott's uh, very passionate about what he does, and he also also has done some continuing education courses at McPherson College in Kansas, and we'll be talking uh, later on in the program about that. But, um, you know, I did want to make, make mention, uh, Scott, you know, the car show season is behind us now, and uh, lo and behold, we've got a, a snow on the ground today. For sure. And, um, you know, I've been driving, uh, I have uh, my Porsche Cayenne has the... Uh, all-weather tires on it, which is, uh, I still get a kind of a blank stare when I try to explain to somebody what an all-weather tire is, because they look like snow tires, and everyone that sees them goes, oh, hey, you're set for winter, man. You got your snow tires on. And basically, I have to correct them and say, well, yes and no. Um, As you're familiar with, obviously, um, in the car world, there's all kinds of tire ratings. There's summer tires, which are only good for warmer temperatures. Right. They're not good below 40 degrees. There's the uh, ubiquitous all-season rating, which yeah. is supposedly good for three seasons plus what they could say light snow or something like that. They're, they're really not good on ice. There's a dedicated snow tire, which is what you want. It's got special formulations in the compound that, that actually uh, don't lose grip or anything as it gets colder, and they're very, very good on ice and, and, and snow. Mm-hmm. But there's a newer category that has come out uh, between the... It's above the uh, all-season tire, but below a straight on winter tire and that's called the all weather tire and the the difference between the all weather tire and the full on snow tire is the fact that when you buy a snow tire and a lot of people don't realize this you don't have a UTQG rating which is the uniform tire quality grading rating which is the tread wear and it's a numerical mm. number that's like 300 or 500 or whatever and then there's a temperature and a traction rating either double yes. A A B and you don't have that on a snow tire because it's not required because they're not designed to run year round they're not made to run on dry roads because they wear quicker mm-hmm. so basically at all weather tire basically takes most of the 
uh, design elements of a snow tire and blends it with a uh, compound and a, and a tread design that is designed to be run year-round, and they add the UTQG rating to it, which mm. is kind of like the best of all worlds. For sure. Uh, not quite as noisy as a full-on snow tire, but definitely a lot better than an all-season tire when it comes to ice and snow. Yes. And... Um, I was having a little bit of fun this morning uh, testing out the uh, Cayenne, uh, obviously hitting the brakes on an unplowed un, uh, road. And, uh, you know, here you feel the ABS kicking in, obviously, but you stop pretty quick. And then I just nailed it. And I was just like taking off like anything on, mm. on just on just <laughs> slush and snow. It's just a neat feeling. And this big, long winded discussion that I'm having with myself right now is I was going to say, do you run any kind of snow tires on your on your daily drivers or do you use all season or what do you what do you prefer i have always used all season and uh while i may not be the consummate driver i do put about sixty thousand miles a year wow. on a minivan okay traveling around the midwest and i've always used all season tires uh all of the minivans i've had have been front drive okay. cars and they've been great uh perhaps it's the fact that we don't get all that much snow here but uh probably more likely it's all the weight in the front of the minivan sure. and it's you know, I've never felt like I needed anything more than the all-season mm-hmm. uh, tire. Well, I know the weight has a lot to do with it, too. I mean, the Cayenne weighs 5,200 pounds, wow. which is a lot. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's all-wheel drive. So that, that's really not going to go anywhere. But I did have, for the first four years of ownership on that vehicle, I had uh, a high-performance all-season tire. And it was a good tire. It was a Yokohama. It was great in the dry. It was very good in the wet, actually. And it wasn't that bad on light snow. Uh, but then they, when they started to age, it got worse on the snow, and it was just terrible on ice, though. It was just really bad. And I think that's the thing that people buy a full-on all-weather or a snow tire for is the performance on ice because yes. it's a very unsettling feeling when you're on ice, and even if the ABS is kicking in and you're just you're not yeah. stopping. <laughs> well, I have a sister who lives in Montreal, and they have snow tire requirements there. So I think beginning of November until maybe mid-April, you have to have... I think it's studded snow tires. Okay. So, you know, we don't see much, uh, too many studded tires in this neck of the no. woods. But in colder climates, oh, yeah. uh, they're pretty important yeah. as well. And so. I know that when in, back in the days when I did my ice racing with the uh, Saab clubs, the uh, studded snow tire would have been the ultimate on the sure. uh, frozen lakes. But then that also brings me up one more item to talk about with the all-season or all-weather tire is it does carry that three-peak mountain snowpla- snowflake symbol, which is uh, it's a three-peak mountain thing it's got a snowflake in it and that shows that's the like the official whatever tire organization symbol for uh ice and snow performance Mm -hmm. and that's what you see on a full-on full-on snow tire and there actually are more uh uh all weather type tires coming out a lot of them are now starting to really just building themselves as an all-season tire but then they're saying it carries the the, the three peak mountain snowflake yeah. symbols. So it's it's an evolving category, I think. And I think for a, a climate like we have here in the Midwest, I think it's a very good alternative because the, the biggest pain in the butt with straight on snow tires, and I did this for many years on a lot of my cars, I had dedicated winter tires and, and then just my summer tires. It's just the pain of having to pull your snow tires off yes. in the spring, put your summer tires on and yeah. then do the same thing again Soaring. in the fall. It's just a pain in the butt. And I was for doing sure. that on like two or three cars every year. So it's expensive. <laughs> yeah. And I got yeah. pretty good with a lug wrench and a, yes. and a jack stand, you know? So 
<laughs> but uh, just something to, to consider. But it's good that uh, that you've you've had just a good overall experience with uh, with uh, all season tires. I think just because I tend to be a little bit more of an aggressive driver. I'm a, you know I'm not one of these people that just toodles away from a stoplight. Mm-hmm. You know I tend to <laughs> put my foot into a little bit. So if I have some wheel slippage, I don't like it. Yes, so. <laughs> that's the way it, the way it works. Um, and I know that, you know, you do a lot of work uh, yourself on your cars. I uh, do. do. you do a lot of your own, like, basic maintenance, like oil changes and things like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are some some of my cars, like my daily driver, I'll take to, you know, the, the oil change place. Okay. But everything else, I just like to know how it's done and know it's done right. Mm-hmm. So I tend to do basic maintenance and as much of the repairs as possible. And uh, I usually have a number of projects going. Uh, oftentimes I feel like a squirrel where I can't decide which direction to go in. And at this time of year where it's getting a little chilly, you know, to say the least, it's, you know, sometimes challenging to, well, if you have a, yeah, it depends on what kind of workspace you have, if you have a a heated or unheated garage or or things like that, or a cold floor that you got to lay on and it's not, uh, not, not (laughs) Not too fun sometimes. I just, um, I always like to part of the car guys report that Lou and I always do is we always talk about our own cars because we have a, you know, a pretty eclectic collection of different vehicles. And this, uh, this past season I started doing uh, after many years of taking it off, I, I used to do all my oil changes and i kind of got out of it and then i decided i'm going to get back into it and i did it um, all season uh, on most of my cars that i own and i just completed the fiat 500 oil change um, yesterday actually and the oil changes on new cars they're really not bad because a lot of the uh, new oil filters are in those canisters where you yes. have to get like a 27 or a 35 millimeter socket and you just basically unscrew this plastic cap and then you've got the, the filter element in there as long as that oil filter is located in a spot that's easy to get right. to. Because on my Mercedes and the Fiat, it's pretty much right up in front. On the Cayenne, it's buried underneath the, the, the engine compartment. you got to just... You have literally like half an inch of of space mm. to get the thing out, but <laughs> the thing that's just driving me nuts, though, and we talked about this before we we got on the air here, was, and I understand why they do this. Modern cars are all aerodynamic, and there's ways that they want air to flow into and out of the engine compartment. So every car made now has these plastic splash shields underneath it. And the thing that drives me nuts about these things is, first of all, they're always this big hunk of flexible plastic. They're held on by anywhere between 6 and 14 screws. And just taking those things off just to get to the drain plug, it's just ridiculous. Why can't, and I think Subaru does this on one of their new cars, why can't the engineers just have like an access hatch that you can, you know, that yeah. would have like an oil symbol on it so you know exactly, first of all, where the oil drain plug is because a lot of these cars, it's even hard to, unless you do a YouTube search, you don't know where the, where the heck the, the right. drain plug is, yes. first of all. Why can't they just devise it so, you know, you could have an access panel that would be removable and then you would be able to, and they would design it so the oil would still go out of the access panel, not into the rest of the... That could be the challenge <laughs> yeah, right there. Because yeah, yes. you never know how much oil is going to shoot out and what direction is going to shoot out. But that's just the thing that drives me nuts is these stupid access panels. Um, 
uh, shields yeah. because it's just like on the Mercedes. I think I had to take two of them off because some of them are like sandwiched together. So you do have to take right. two of them off just to get to where you want to go. And it's just a pain in the butt. So yeah, and sometimes they use those one way plastic fittings. Oh. So you have to replace the fittings yeah. or be able to get them out without damaging oh, them. That can be a challenge. Yeah. And, and they all kind of like fit in, like kind of like wedge in sometimes to, to make sure they fit properly. And the thing is that these things can be, you know, three and four feet wide yeah. and, and they're just got that flexibility to them that, you know, you get one screw in, but then you realize, oh, wait, I didn't tuck this down in right. here. And just, I mean, you share my pain. I can yes, tell. Absolutely. So. I understand. So I, I mean, you asked me about changing my own oil, yeah. and I do have a car that I have not changed oil on, and I'm a little reticent about doing that, and that's a late model Acura NSX. Yeah, which so we will talk about a little bit uh, later. That, <laughs> that thing sounds nightmarish. Yeah. So it's, I believe there's eight or nine access ports uh, for the oil or yeah. access points. You have to do them in a certain order, otherwise you get oil all over the engine. Wow. And it's not cheap. Uh, I think you know, I'm looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of about $350 for an oil change from the dealer. That actually doesn't sound too bad for that, yeah, that caliber of car. Yeah, some other Lamborghinis yeah. or Ferraris, it's much more. But I, just because of the, of the panels that you're mentioning, you know, the access points, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe it's worth spending that to yeah. have somebody else do it. Yeah, because the other thing, too, is some cars, I don't know how many, but some cars actually don't have drain plugs on them anymore, at least for, I don't know about the oil, but I know like a lot of transmission gearboxes don't have have drain yeah. plugs on them anymore. Have you ever used one of those suction things? Because I, I was I, wondering if that could be an avenue that would work. I have, but not on a car. I've used it on I have a motorcycle okay. that requires that you change it, uh, change the oil using one of those. Oh, and okay. it actually works very well, much better than I was thinking it would. Uh, but, you know, that's just another tool you have to have in your arsenal. And then another thing you got to clean out when you're, because right. the I beauty mean, of changing your oil is you just drain it into a drain, pl- a drain uh, pan and then you wipe the drain pan out. It's pretty easy. With that cylinder thing, I think it'd be kind of a pain to clean. It is. I mean, I think the one I have probably holds four or five gallons. Yeah. Wow. And, um, you know, that's another point. When you started talking about changing your oil, your oil, and when you have so many cars, yeah, it's getting rid of the oil. Sure, you know, and uh, it's not like the old days where just pour it into the yard. Well, I was, you know, so. <laughs> I was uh, giving you the tour of the uh, Car Guys Report warehouse before we we started this session, and I didn't show you that that. Uh, uh, my collection of used oil that I've yes. got. I've got, <laughs> literally, I've got 10 five-quart five uh, containers filled with used oil. Yeah. So I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I got to take it to the local mechanic, I think, to, to get it uh, yeah, recycled there. But yeah, you're right. It's it's not that easy to, yeah. to do anymore. You end up saving all your gallon containers to take. Does your, does your NSX, does that have a dipstick on it or is it all electronic? It's electronic, yeah. but it does have a dipstick. Oh, it does? Yeah, it's okay. not easily accessed. Um, so, you know, what they encourage you to do is use the electronic oil minder or okay. oil level minder. But it does indeed have a dipstick okay. as well. Because my, uh, my 911, my 2011 911 does not have a dipstick. Mm. It just has the electronic. So when you do the oil change there is you just have to, the thing is you have to just be careful not to overfill because that's one thing it seemed that I've run into with a lot of uh, repair places lately is they tend to just overfill your oil all the time. Mm. And it's not a problem on most cars, but on some cars, like the Porsche, if you overfill it, you'll get a, a warning that it doesn't tell you it's overfilled. It just says check oil level. Yes. And then you look at it, and it's all the way to the top or above. So you know there's too much oil in there. And it, yeah. and it comes on like every 200 miles. And it's like unless you drain it out. You know, it's a, so you really have to just all these things on, you know, I'm looking at my 58 Impala that just has a cartridge 
oil filter and a, and a drain plug on the on the uh, oil pan. No splash panels, nothing. Yes. Pretty easy to do. <laughs> Makes life a lot easier for sure. <laughs> but right. um, the good old days. The trials and tribulations that us car guys go through with our modern cars, Absolutely. I tell you, it's incredible. <laughs> if you like what we're doing here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, and we certainly hope that you do, be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. It's available online at radiomisfits.com. You can follow us on Twitter at car guys podcast and of course you can email us too at any time we'd love to uh, get your questions your comments your suggestions uh just to say hi whatever please do send us an email the uh, email address is car guys report at hotmail.com you're listening to the car guys report informed automotive i'm mark vernon along with a special guest today scott crane and we're just talking uh, having a good old-fashioned conversation about cars because that's what we do here on the car guys report um i just wanted to get a little bit of background scott on your what i call qualifications as a car guy obviously you know i've been into cars my entire life um i've been a kind of a collector now for about five six years and i know you have a lot of different things maybe give me a little bit of background like maybe who was your influence did you was your dad a car guy or did you have friends or yeah, a little bit of both, Mark. Um, so my dad was not a car guy, but as a kid, he owned a beautiful, it was a 63 Jaguar 3.0 saloon. Mm. And I loved being taken to school in that car. I just thought it was very cool. I think he had one 8-track tape, which was Sound of <laughs> Silence by the Simon and Garfunkel. And I just thought I was hot stuff being dropped off at school in that. So that really influenced me. And it actually took me in the direction of loving British cars. Mm-hmm. So I have a collection of British cars. Um, I've sort of lost count, but and, and I should say that I'm very fickle when it comes to some of my cars. So I don't keep them very long. Others I keep longer. But I think at last count, I'm up to about 117 cars in wow. my lifetime. Wow, okay. Something like something, I'm only uh, about like 30, I think. That's more normal. I wow. Think. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I've had a lot of dogs and, you know, and a lot of great cars as well. Uh, I currently have, uh, I, well, between my wife and I, we have 10 cars and five motorcycles. Yeah. Um, I have some older cars, uh, some, some pretty old cars and, and some modern cars as well. And I enjoy them both. I have a, a car that I'm restoring right now, doing a ground up restoration. It's a 1949 Singer. Uh, that's a, that car was um, a, a comp- the competition for the MGTD. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a Singer 4A, very small, uh, four-cylinder engine, all mechanical. Brakes are mechanical. Wow. Uh, the clutch pedal is actually on the bell housing. So when you push the clutch pedal... You're actually, pushing the clutch directly. The wow. Clutch directly. That's yeah. incredible. Uh, it's a four-speed, uh, and it is a single overhead cam. But very basic car. It has uh, semaphores, uh, mm-hmm. so no, no flashing turn signals, just those little flags that come out of the side. And I'm in the midst of the restoration on that. Um, I did a ground-up restoration years ago on a 56 Austin Healey 100, which was the big Healey with the four-cylinder okay. in it, which was, uh, which was great fun. And, uh, and so was the Singer. So, um, you know, there's a couple of British cars that I, 
have worked on. I also have a 1930 American Austin, which is a tiny car. That's like the, the Austin Bantam, right? The, the, it the, is. The similar, same, yeah, because yeah. it was made here, right, on license exactly. or whatever? Yeah, so it's uh, similar to the Austin 7, uh, which was made in yeah, the UK. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. Um, this car looks like a small Model A, mm-hmm. um, but it went on to be the Austin Bantam company. Okay, yeah. Convertibles and sportier vehicles. And they, too, if I, if I uh, am recalling correctly, weren't they one of the three companies that did a proposal on the, the original Jeep? Yes, absolutely correct. Yes. In fact, they did make the original or they were associated with the original yeah. Jeep, which obviously was very successful. Yeah. Um, so some nice, nice history there. And I, I actually originally saw an Austin 7 and fell in love with it and um, started looking around and learned about the American Austin. And they only made those, uh, my car, for three years. So wow. one of the things I like are these sort of oddities and um that's good and bad in, mm-hmm. in ways but well that's like you know. me i mean that that's a, that's an you know like i said earlier one of the reasons i wanted to get you on the program because we, we share very similar things you know mm-hmm. i'm the guy that drives the weirdo sobs i've had peugeots i've had renault's i've had you know i had a mitsubishi montero which was a totally yeah. cool car kind of yeah. offbeat for an asian car you know just i love oddball stuff me and well. yeah and and it's just it's so cool to to meet somebody that shares your passion in in just weird automotive yeah, but as you know, the challenge can be keeping these cars afloat, oh, keeping sure. them up because yeah. of you know trying to find parts. Yeah, and that I have a few cars. So I uh, since I saw you last, I actually bought a '92 Lotus Elan, which if you remember, okay. that was mm-hmm. the Suzu Lotus kind of combination. Yeah. so it's supposed to be. It's billed as the best handling front wheel drive car. It's convertible. It's a beautiful car. The challenge is you can't find any parts for yeah. this car, you know, and so just like with my Singer, you know, I have to buy buy car buy parts from the UK, and and in some ways that's what makes it fun. Is it so? Refresh my memory with the Elan, the ninety two. Um, was that actually being built in Britain or was it being built in Japan? With no, I think so. And I, some of this is new to me, but yeah. um, it, as far as I know, it was built in a Lotus factory. Okay. But they looked for a small engine that would fit into the oh, car. Okay. So like what Lotus is doing now with like the exactly, Toyota, Toyota engines. Exactly. Okay. So this was sort of the beginning of all that. So it's an Isuzu engine. Okay. And uh, the Lotus suspension, Lotus body, Lotus frame. Okay. Um, is it that twin cam four cylinder? It is. Okay. Yep. That, that Actually, Isuzu made some... People remember... they. Nobody remembers Azusus anymore here in the U.S. Joe Azusu, the, the big liar salesman <laughs> yes. campaign or whatever they had. But they made some cool cars back yes, then, too. I and that's agree. why I remember they had this twin cam four-cylinder that they had, which yeah. is a good engine. I think we saw the Impulse here. Yeah, they, yeah. So yeah, that that's was it. the same engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I, I thought. I always thought that was a cool-looking car. It was. And never never bought one. But, yeah. You know, now I've ended up with a third of that car. Interesting, because I, I had an Isuzu Trooper, actually, for a while, yeah. a 95. And you're right. I mean, even, even this is, you know, 15 years ago when I owned that vehicle, uh, and Isuzu was still selling here, um, even parts for that were getting kind of hard to find because yes. there weren't that many dealers around and then they kind of like you come in and they kind of scratch their head and they're like um you want what <laughs> uh you know then the big sigh lets yes. out and he goes well uh, we'll try to order it and see what yeah. happens <laughs> literally i mean i that yeah. that's but i always thought azusa made a pretty good product though and yeah and that's probably at least the most reliable part of this mm-hmm. car. You can imagine that even though it's a 92, some the of the build quality is the not build quality yeah. is not like you'd expect. It <laughs> is a fiberglass car, you know, the electrical gremlins that go along with a British yeah. car or even more so a fiberglass British car yeah. come into play. So 
some challenges, and I like that. You know, one of the things I enjoy when I'm working on a car is trying to figure out what's, you know, what's wrong with it. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I sometimes I get in a little deeper than I hoped, but thank God for YouTube. You and, of, yeah. and of course, you weren't specifically looking for a Lotus Salon, were you? It just kind of popped up? Um, it's interesting. I would say yes, you're okay. right. And that, that is oftentimes the case. You know? Well, that, that's what I thought, because I remember, I'll never forget, uh, last year, you had you went through a series of two or three 911, late model 911s, I, I swear, in like yes, three months. Three. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you show up with the Acura NSX. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you had this gorgeous 911. It was a, either the GT, GTS, GTS yeah. and then you had the gray one, which was awesome. Right. And it's just like, you know, I fall in love with, with your cars and you get rid of them and you're like, okay. And I mean, there's nothing yeah. not to take anything away from the NSX because that's an amazing vehicle, but it's, <laughs> it's just... I'm I'm attached to the older cars for some yeah. reason. I'm not as attached to the to the, the newer, newer ones. Cars. Yeah, I know I know what you're saying that it is sometimes it is easier to get rid of a newer car yeah. because maybe because there's just still more of them out there. If you decide you want to find it again or right. whatever, it's not that hard. But like you know, where are you going to get a '49 Singer again? Yes, exactly. Um, so, but yes, I've had a lot of you know a lot of 911s. I currently have a '77 911, which is probably the car that I would opt to be buried in mm-hmm. to be buried in a car that's your uh, mint green uh, targa yeah it's ice cream ice cream yeah yes ice cream metallic targa uh it has two hundred and thirty-four thousand wow. miles on it but it is a beautiful driver uh starts on the first turn yeah uh just you know the car that i probably love the most um quickly run down the current cars you have in your collection because i know i know some of them but obviously our listeners won't know um which ones they are so yeah so uh, we'll start with the oldest which is that 1930 american austin i Mm -hmm. currently have that parked at um the national car and truck museum in auburn indiana oh cool Uh, they were putting together a micro car display and uh we're looking for some cars to add and so I've uh, loaned them my car for a year. Did you just um, email them? or I was actually visiting, uh, and I noticed that many of the cars I had were on loan. Okay. So I talked to the uh, to the museum curator, yeah. and he said they're very open. And I told him what kind of car I had, and he thought that you know that was going to be a perfect fit cool. for this display. So it's been there. We delivered it. I think we delivered it July 4th of this okay. year, and it'll be there for the year unless I extend it. Yeah. And um, that gave me a little one more garage. Yeah, space free storage there. there exactly. So <laughs> That's the so. bane of every car collector is we never have enough room for our toys. Absolutely. Never. Correct. So, And then the next one is the 1949 Singer uh, that I mentioned. Then I have a 62 Sunbeam Alpine. Okay. Uh, which is a nice... A nice that's a newer driver. acquisition, too, I that believe, right? That is a newer acquisition. Yeah. I think I also got that this summer. Um, and then I have the 77 911 that I mentioned. I have a 1992 968, Porsche 968, mm-hmm. Cabriolet. Mm-hmm. Nice car, black on black. With the giant three-liter four-cylinder engine yes. in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I had a number of uh, 944 turbos before that, mm-hmm. which I loved, but I really wanted to try the 968. Uh the Lotus that I mentioned, uh, the Acura that we've talked yeah. about, and that's a, a twenty seventeen. Seventeen, yes. So that's the First, just so people know that's the the new super NSX, the hybrid uh, supercar, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. That's, so it's a it's a car with uh, three electric motors and a, a three point five liter V six twin turbo. Wow. And it is incredible to drive. Uh, the electric motors add so much to it, and what's neat about the car is it's very fast i think uh, zero to 60 times in under three seconds yeah. 
But the real highlight is the handling because two of the electric motors are on the front wheels and they work to help with the torque vectoring of the car. So when you go around a turn in most cars, you know, where you understeer, this car just takes you right through the turn. Because it could add power to, to the wheels individually. Right. right? And, of course, yeah. that's all done, you know, by this computer. Oh, yeah. And it's just, you know, I, I think the other thing about the car is that it has a performance of, you know, higher-end Lamborghinis yeah. and Ferraris. But in its calm state, it's like driving a Honda Accord. That's the beauty. And it's reliable. And it's That's reliable. the beauty. That was, yeah. that was one of the attractions of the original NSX. I got another car yes. buddy who's... Who's got one uh, original NSX, and he he was a guy that had you know resto mods and muscle cars and stuff, and he's getting a little older, and he wanted just something that he didn't really have to think about reliability wise, but wanted a cool car, and bingo, the NSX, yes. and, and yeah. it's a car that'll always hold its value. For sure. So, yeah, and they say that that was really the car that sort of you know made Ferrari and Lamborghini kind of get their game up. Yeah. As far as you know, back in the nineties when it came out, yeah. yeah, and just a wonderful car. Now, having said that. This past weekend, I went and drove a Lamborghini Huracan, okay. <laughs> thinking about, well, could this be a good option, you know, instead of the... Uh, well, isn't the, Huracan, isn't the Huracan, as they call it, isn't that just the same as the Audi, very similar to the Audi R8? Yes, the same engine. Same engine, engine and pretty yeah. much the same chassis, though, too, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah, and, and uh, you can get the Audi a lot cheaper. I drove the Audi, and I and wasn't didn't like that it? impressed. Okay. You know, and I have to say... <laughs> Coming from the Acura, because of the hybrid design, it's almost hard to, I mean, uh, it was, the Lamborghini was wonderful, but you have this instantaneous power in the Acura that oh, yeah. you don't have in anything yeah. else. You don't have to get it up to 3,000 RPM mm-hmm. to hit the, you know, the, hit the uh, torque max yeah. or the torque peak, uh, whereas, you know, in the Acura, it's just ready to go. Yeah. And um, that may be something that's going to be hard to replace. Plus uh, the price differential, too. I mean, it's about half the cost, isn't it? Because what's an Uricon go for? About two fifty, two sixty? Yeah, right around there. Okay, and the, and the maybe not half, but and then the NSX is about one fifty. They started about one fifty. Yeah, go up to about two hundred. Yeah, so, so it's uh, it's significantly cheaper. Yeah, um, and I would say, to my mind, it's every bit the car that the Lamborghini is. Yeah, uh, you don't have the status that the Lamborghini has, but. On the other hand, I kind of like to fly under the radar a little bit, and I think the Acura helps with that. I mm-hmm. think the Lamborghini just kind of screams. That's in your face. Yes, but, for sure. But I'll go out on a limb here and say I'll be looking forward to seeing your Lamborghini Huracan <laughs> next summer you, <laughs> at <Mark>. Cars and Coffee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I, I remember you telling me that you had the, the Bantam in a, in a museum, but didn't one of the other cars that you, you have or have had in your collection, didn't that come out of a, a museum collection as well? Actually, that's the same car. Oh, it's the same so car. It's okay. A, so I wow. bought it from the um, Harris okay, uh, collection sure. yeah. in Reno. Yeah. And what's really neat about this car is it has, uh, I think it's 4,300 miles on it. It's all wow. original. Wow. You know, so it's uh, it's wonderful from that standpoint. I have a lot of older cars that have been repainted along yeah. the way or reworked in some way. This car is all original. Wow. So uh, it's, uh, it's got neat history. And there's not too many people that go from a 1930s um uh, Austin Bantam, or, or yes. what is it? it American Austin. American Austin to a, a current Acura NSX in the that same collection. That's yes. just amazing. <laughs> um, and for, for some of the uh, people that are listening to, they may not be real familiar with the Hera collection because that was back in his heyday. Bill Hera was, what, 60s and 70s with I his collection? So, yeah. He had one of the penultimate, as far as I remember, as a kid growing up in the 70s, 60s, and 70s, just a huge, mainly American cars, I think, I like think- a lot of Duesenberg. 
Spielbergs, a lot of like yes. big time classics. And it was in was it in Vegas? It's in Reno. Is Reno? I okay, think it still exists. It still exists. But I know that yeah. they sold a lot of stuff off, yes. or because he he passed away, and I think you know. But it's just one of the the classic. Uh, car collections yes, uh, that US, people know about. Sure. Yeah, for sure, Absolutely. which is awesome. Um, one of the things I was going to talk about, I said, what is on your radar now or in the future now? Where, how did the Uricon come about? Is it just well, one of those things? or Yeah, just one of those things, I must say. So I tend to not buy any of these cars new. You know, I Well, yeah, that's the way know, to do it. Yeah, I so mean, I buy them, you know, a yeah. lease, uh, lease return or something like yeah. that. So I just happened to see this come up on uh, one of the car sites and thought I'd go check it out. And I think I'm going to take a look at a McLaren as well. And I think uh, that in some ways interests me more than mm-hmm. the Lamborghini. It just seems lately I've been seeing so many McLarens at car shows. It's like right. Lou and I have joked about that on the program where it's like, you know, you're you're a dyed-in-the-wool car guy when you don't even get excited about you know, a McLaren or a Lamborghini yes. showing up. What does it really take to get our juices flowing yeah. these days? And, that, and, and, you know, that brings up another point about the Acura. They've only built 2,400, roughly, uh, Acura NSXs since the inception. Wow. When they re- the, brought the car back. Yeah. And so you really don't see them. I mean, I've, uh, you know, in this area, I've seen a handful of mm-hmm. them uh, at some of the cars and coffee shows. Yeah. But they're very uncommon. And, and that's one of the things that I like and I know you like as well. You don't see yourself exactly going. Exactly. You know, so that 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 cachet that goes along with the Acura, for me, is important. And the, the NSX, is that still built in Japan? No, they're or is it built, built here, Ohio? Okay, yeah. that's why I couldn't remember yeah. if it was built because I know they had the, the. They still have. I'm thinking of uh, Honda still has the Goldwing plant in Ohio too, don't they? I think they're. Or did they move maybe that? adjacent? I, okay. I believe so. Yeah, and um, so and I think and it's they, like built almost like in a clean room environment, yes, isn't it? Because yeah. I've I've seen articles on it. it's amazing what they do. Yeah, the engines are all hand built, and like you said, it's it's a clean room basically. Yeah. they're built. They're built in very high technology. Uh, build and you can visit. I have not visited, but uh, maybe something I'll do. It's amazing to me too that they can. And maybe since it's a halo car, they're not making as much money on it. I don't think they're taking a loss on it. But the fact that they can deliver a car to you with that level of technology and uh, build quality and 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 build procedure for that price yes. is is staggering. Yeah, I mean because you, it should probably be like a four hundred thousand dollar car. You would think, well, right? You know, they compare it to the nine eighteen, yeah, Porsche nine eighteen, which of course is a million million dollar yeah you know so it's it's similar technology and because of that it kind of looks like a bargain and it's an expensive car for me i guess if i came off of a 918 it would look like a bargain (laughs) um but it's you know it's just a lot of car for the money and um and as I said, it you know it just has that uh, exclusivity, which I really love. I know you said one thing that you like is you can. Um, how, what is the range on electric only on that car? Yeah, so it's not a plug-in hybrid. Yeah. It is a car that regenerates off of the brakes yeah. and the engine. And uh, so once it builds up the battery, I think you can go. If I'm not mistaken, a little bit under 20 miles yeah. on the battery. Um, but you know, I, th- I think you were going in the direction. You and I were at a uh, at a car show recently, where I pulled in next to six Ferraris, yeah. <laughs> and they were all revving their engines yeah. and very loud. And the nice thing about the NSX is you can put it in quiet mode, yeah. And the engine will run when it's needed, but it also runs in electric yeah. mode. So the car was just it was in electric mode. I was backing it into the space next to these six Ferraris, and it was just 
purely it was just quiet and they looked at it like you know what's going on here so well it tells me you're very secure in your masculinity because you don't have to show off <laughs> that's true seriously i mean that's that that's something that that gets to me after a while is all these you know people that have to sit there and just rev, rev their engines all the time it's like what's the big deal okay yeah. we've all heard of v12 and we've heard of v10 and we've heard yes. your ferrari v8 why do you have to keep showing it you know yes, <laughs> and you just kind of slip right in and yeah. you're at acura and you look totally awesome <laughs> i thought that was cool so <laughs> i think that's really a you know the the hybrid nature of the car the yeah. fact that the hybrid the hybrid approach on the nsx is more about performance you know you you will get 25 miles to the gallon in that car if driven, you know, to get high economy, but it's really all about. The oh yeah, that's what we're seeing with the with the higher end brands as far as hybrid uh, technology goes. I mean, Mercedes now has the. Um, uh, I, I don't know if they call it hybrid or hybrid assist, but they just recently introduced a three liter uh, inline six, which they have not made for ages. And mm. they made one of the best inline sixes, uh, you know, 40 or 50 years yes. ago. And that has a 48 volt electrical system in it. It's got basically an electric, they call it an electric supercharger that, that gets the turbo spinning. So mm. you, it eliminates lag. Right. And it's got, um, and it adds the, the boost that you talk about. Yes. Uh, temporarily under acceleration or when you, when you need it. So again, it's not there for economies as much as just performance. Perform- and and, yeah. and the performance they're getting out of the car is a phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, well, as you know, and probably many of your listeners know, you get maximum torque, you know, instant oh, maximum yeah. torque. So the NSX, the third electric motor, is attached to the gas engine. So when the, you know, with, to make up for turbo lag, you get this, you know, just instantaneous rush from the car. And um, <laughs> and it's, it's a great time. I think, you know, your point that uh, our, you know, car companies are starting to embrace the hybrid technology yeah. and use it for performance yeah. reasons. And incorporated into cars that you know you haven't been seeing it. I think mm-hmm. it's, I think it's very cool, and it's definitely something we're going to see a lot more of. You know, coming down the line, I agree. Um, I agree. It'd be real interesting. But you know, how do you top? You know, what what is Honda going to do to top the NSX now? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty amazing the way it is. It looks it's a gorgeous car. I just yeah, I love agree. the way that thing looks. And yours is black, it's metallic black on black. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I'm not a huge fan of black cars. I find myself owning three or four black cars, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, it does. It's it, it, it's a nice car in black because mm-hmm. a lot of the trim sort of blends in. Whereas on the lighter colors, it's yeah. it's very obvious. When you when you look, because you have such a wide range of, of vehicles in your collection and stuff, and you're talking about you you're talking recently that you looked at a Lamborghini Huracan and things like that. Do you have anything that you just specifically, other than just uniqueness, is there anything else that that you that you really like? I mean, I like I really am into for whatever reason lately in my car collections i'm really into like v8 engines and they're starting to be you know an endangered species right you know i've got one v12 that's an endangered species so i you know i'm kind of liking cars that have big engines in them um in the european cars mainly uh is there anything that you kind of like have to have in in every single car that you buy as far as like you know is it has to be reliability is it driving comfort is it driving uh you know handling uh or is it just whatever strikes your fancy well in all those 117 cars (laughs) i think i've only owned uh, maybe 10 American cars. Wow. So wow. all of my personal cars have always wow. been foreign cars. Okay. So I do tend to gravitate right or wrong, uh, for better or for worse, yeah. towards foreign cars. Okay. Which is, I've always been pretty much that way too. So, yeah. And, um, 
so so that's part of it. I think for me, I mean, I I certainly love the power. All of the cars that I have, like I, you know, every other car that I own is not huge on power. Yeah. I mean, even the 911, you know, it has a it has a three liter uh, uh, six in it, but it's not a very fast car. No. It's more about the handling. Sure. And that's really, you know, I remember test driving the Acura and I took one corner much faster than I have taken in any of my other cars and it just handled it flawlessly. Yeah. I was sold at that point. Yeah. And so I think for me it's the handling. The other thing is, uh, the Acura was a bit of a leap for me because all my personal cars are manual trans- transmissions. Okay. And um, I really felt like, if, since I'm not going to use it as a daily driver, I don't want an automatic. But of course, you know, with these, uh, you know, with the dual clutch transmissions coming in. I don't know if it's really fair to call a, a dual clutch a straight on automatic because yes. it is a different experience. You have to really experience that. You're right. To, you know. I mean, it's amazing how quickly. I, oh, yeah. I, I had the first uh, dual-clutch transmission in a, um, in a Volkswagen TDI sport wagon, okay. uh, Jetta, and it was great in that car. I have driven the 911s with the PDK mm-hmm. transmission, and they're incredibly fast and very competent transmissions, but I've always gone for a manual yeah. 911. In the case of the Acura, I had no choice. So if I wanted the car, I was going to have to get the, the dual-clutch automatic yeah. quote unquote and i haven't been disappointed in fact i um maybe because i'm getting old i uh, i don't drive it as much in manual mode even though it has really nice uh, i never drive motion. any of those things you know like the pdk that i have in the 911 i never manually shift it it's just like yeah. yes <laughs> it's it's nice to have you know at times but i think you know we're all kind of uh, inherently lazy yeah i am <laughs> yeah. i guess no, I, and so it's nice to just put it in automatic sure and it I don't think it's, you know, there's always this argument on the forums about how engaging it is. And I definitely think you're more engaged with a manual transmission. Yeah. And I love driving a car with a manual transmission, but I don't feel like I miss much when I'm driving in driving the Acura. Yeah. So it's uh, those are more or less the things I'd say the, you know, the transmission is important to me. The handling is, is key. And I have to say, as I said, for better or for worse, kind of lean towards Foreign cars the import, the sure, yeah. yeah, and and this is the famous car question: the the ones that got away of your 117 uh. <laughs> cars. Is there like are there like one or two that you really wish, either from a monetary standpoint, something that that was not worth a lot when you got rid of it, and now is worth a ton, and you wish you had it just from that, or just a car that you just wish you never got rid of because you can't find another one yeah so my first car that i did the ground up restoration this 56 austin healy that i mentioned i ultimately sold because i was offered much more money than i had ever expected and as it was pulling out of my driveway i was regretting yeah it. you know it was a unique car it was a florida green and old english white okay uh, the 104 is a kind of an oddball among the austin healy's as well and um, just uh, the, you know, it was just a unique car. Yeah. And, and I had put a lot of time and a lot of heart into that car. And uh, for that reason, that was definitely one that I let get away and regretted it. Um, I had a chance to, um, I had a chance to buy a Daimler Frog Eye mm-hmm. early in my car career and didn't. I wish I had purchased that, although I'm sure it would be long gone yeah. now. Um I think other, you know, some of the some of the late model 911s that you mentioned seeing uh, me driving, I love those cars. Uh, and if I could afford to own all of them, I guess I would. There you go. Yeah. 
But but it wouldn't be that hard to go out and get another one though. That's just it. No, you're absolutely right. Not a right. late model. You're right. You know, but your your Austin your uh, Austin Healy though. Yeah, I mean, try to find another. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I didn't even know because I always thought that the Austin Healy's were the the sixes, the hundred six. But you said yours was a, was a four cylinder, right. which is interesting. Yeah, the big Healy's when they first came out had a big. It was a two point six liter wow. four, and uh, they actually performed better than the six cylinder engines because they were lighter. Okay, and they you know of course didn't advertise that. Yeah, but uh, they were. It, it had um, didn't have roll up windows. Uh, it had side curtains. The top was very archaic. So compared to the late later three thousands, you know, which were very much GT cars, the hundred four was much more of a, a sports car. Yeah, it also had a unique uh, windshield. That's a big selling point on that car, uh, where they they lay. You can lay the windshield mm-hmm. back in yeah. sporting mode. I drove it once with that and with it in that position it was probably one of the more painful things i've done in a car <laughs> but very cool looking you know is and, that when it's raked down pretty raked low down. yeah yeah so it was supposed to be the racing position wow. and i think it uh, probably was about four inches between the yeah. bottom of the <laughs> windshield and the top of the dashboard wow so, and just don't get cool. in an accident because that would be uh, uh... <laughs> decapitated for sure you're right wow so. very cool though if you like the car guys report informed automotive be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the radio misfits podcast network a show like lasano and friends that's an opi show you can join our friend tony lasano and his many famous friends for a casual comedic conversation about everything it's an opi show and it's available only on the radio misfits podcast network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place and that would be radiomisfits.com you're listening to the car guys report informed automotive i'm mark vernon lou uh, costable taking the day off and we've got our special guest scott crane in the uh, studio today and we're just having uh, just a fa- fun time talking about cars and what uh, scott likes to collect and uh, all the good kind of stuff that we like to talk about here and one reason scott that i wanted to get you on the program was you know, you, you, to me, you seem like, a, you know, even though you, you, you buy and sell a lot of cars, you're still kind of focused in, in what you like to do car wise. And um, you have taken, I believe it's two uh, courses now at McPherson College in I Kansas. Yes. And McPherson, as far as I know, it's one of the very few colleges in the U.S. that you can actually get. Is it a four year degree? And yes, is yeah. it automotive restoration or restoration? Or, yeah. Yes. And. Obviously, they they have uh, uh, would be a continuing education type thing too, because that's they what do. you did, right? Yeah. So it's they call it the summer institute, and they run it for three weeks every summer, and invite uh, you know people like myself or yourself to come and uh, participate. And they have a number of classes. I think now they're up to maybe fifteen or eighteen wow. different classes that you can take, and it's you know you're you're there with like-minded people Mm -hmm. and uh, some of these guys stay all three weeks and take three different classes because you were doing it a week at a time right you've done two one-week sessions i'm still a full full full-time employee (laughs) somewhere so i can't afford to take off that much time but i took a uh i took an engine rebuilding class uh two years ago okay and this past year i took a a sheet metal fabrication class and um I can't say enough about how much I've enjoyed these. I am a kind of a self-taught mechanic, which is not necessarily a good thing. So it's kind of nice to go and learn how to rebuild an engine like you're supposed mm-hmm. to, rather than sort of seat of the pants and you know checking on YouTube here and there. Yeah. And I really wanted to learn how to weld. So um, one of the uh, this guy Ed Barr is a um, I guess he's considered one of the top twenty 
metal fabrication people in the U.S. Wow. And so you go there and you learn how to do MIG, TIG, and mm -hmm. gas welding and electric welding and just a great experience. Uh, you know, you start off with a 12 by 12 sheet of aluminum and he has a body of a Lotus, an older Lotus there, and he wants you to kind of fit the aluminum to a nacelle, yeah. a part of the car, and it's very challenging. Oh, yeah. You kind of learn how to beat on these panels, you know, from a very basic uh, way. You know, there's tree stumps in the lab where you kind of shape the aluminum. That's the, the way they stump. do it, though. I mean, yes. it's in English wheels. English wheels yeah. and, um, you know, all sorts of very basic sort of archaic methods. And then he also has more modern method so you know you use a power hammer and things yeah. like that and just a for me a great experience i'm planning on going back again um the other thing that's kind of a highlight for me which i did not expect at all is it's i think it's very well organized mm -hmm. um during the evening they take you on these um uh these sightseeing well not sightseeing it's uh, uh they take you to different people's collections okay oh so, cool yeah so there's uh i've visited a couple of these people i think twice and there were some new ones there was a guy this year who had all of these old uh, tractors and he would buy the largest tractor these are all you know, like the very early gasoline tractors and they are huge and he maintains them and he keeps them running he doesn't use them he lives on a farm but he doesn't use them to you know to do any work there he just this is his hobby um one of the other collections, this guy, you can actually drive pretty much any of his cars that are running. That's where I first saw the Austin 7 was in this collection. And I've driven a number of cars when I've, when I've gone there. I drove a VW Thing, which I never uh -huh. you know, thought I would drive. Doors on or doors off? Doors were on. <laughs> it felt like it wouldn't make that much of a difference <laughs> in that car. So, um, and so the, so the uh, field trips, that was the word. Mm -hmm. I was, the field trips at night sort of become the highlight you get cool. to go see people's collections uh interact with them learn about what drives them and you're among people who are all like-minded you know they they are all lovers of cars the first question you ask is what's your name second question you ask is what's your project so i uh you know i met a number of people who had similar interests to me and it's really a i find it to be very fulfilling and uh, my wife refers it refers to it as me going to camp for a yeah, week. Yeah, well, exactly. And you, yeah. she, she gets you out of the house, too, exactly, so that's always yes. important, right? That, that is a plus, I'm <laughs> sure. So, so I, I can't say enough good things about it. And for me, again, it's, you know, it's somebody who's been self-taught. So I've either read books or had friends help me learn how to do things. And, you know, in this case, you can learn from somebody who's done it for a living and is a professional, and, and that's been really, really a nice thing, a nice mm -hmm. resource for me. And Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, uh, we're at the point of the program where we have to take a quick break, and we'll be back momentarily. I am Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. And on Back to You, our podcast, we do all kinds of things like, how would you describe it? We do nitpicky things sometimes, like, how come you got headphones on and I don't? Because I'm the star of the show. Well, see, that's up for uh, debate and deliberation, and uh, a lot of the show is about who gets top billing and last word. Well, we'll find out on the next back to you with howard sudbury and steve baskerville see ya bye back to you with howard sudbury and steve baskerville an opie show only on the radio misfits podcast network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved a better place radiomisfits.com coming to the radio misfits podcast network that's us. I'm Kimmy. I'm Sam. And I am Tommy right here. We're going to talk about Florida men. We're going to talk about paranormal stories. We're going to talk about 
uh, city stuff. Sex talk. Sex talk. And sex talk. And yeah, sex talk will come up. But only if it's brought up. We got to keep that on the DL. So come meet your new friends with and friends on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, radiomisfits.com, and Opi Production. And we're back. We're talking with Scott Crane on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon. We're talking about Scott's experience at McPherson College in Kansas, taking uh, continuing education programs. And we're just talking about the field trip excursions (laughs) that you take uh, when you're not in class. One thing I was curious about is what are the demographics? What kind of people were you with? Older, younger, male, female, um, just a mix or what? I'm, I'm kind of curious. Mainly male. Yeah. Uh, there are a few females there. Um, age ranges anywhere from mid-20s up to 70s, 80s. Really? Wow. Uh, the two years I've been there, I have met uh, three generations. So people will come, you know, father, grandfather, wow. son or grandson. So it's, you know, it's a pilgrimage for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I... I've never met anybody who goes to McPherson who lives in McPherson. Yeah. All people who have traveled. I, um, were they all from the U.S.? Did you have any no, foreign students? There are some. There were some foreign students wow. as well. There was a guy from Australia wow. who came. And so people, have, you know, like you said, this. I think they were the very first uh, college to offer a four-year. Mm-hmm. I know there's one in Pennsylvania now, too. Right. They've opened another yeah. one since then. But, um, you know, they just uh, they have a lot of resources. There's a lot of support. Um and I, for me, it's just been a, a, a great time. And How I did you find it. out about it? Did you just hear from it? Because I've kind of heard about McPherson. I've seen uh, segments on it. I think like on Motor Week, they've done it before. Were you yeah. already familiar with them? or I think I learned about it on uh, Leno's, Jay Leno's Garage. Oh, okay. he's a big supporter okay. there. And then a friend of mine, a guy that I met at a car show, probably that where I've met you or we've gotten together, yeah. told me he was going. And he actually has gone, I think, four years. Wow. And invited me, and uh, it was interesting. We knew each other from the car, from the car show. Uh, so we probably spent all of forty-five minutes together, and we took a twelve-hour drive yeah. to get to McPherson, <laughs> wow. and then a twelve-hour back, a twelve-hour yeah. drive back. And so, uh, you know, we were both wondering if we were going to kill each other. <laughs> and we get we got and get along well, and we've done it, you know, two years in a row, and we're getting ready for a third. And year. with these continuing education classes, you're actually earning college credit, then, or is it just? Uh, I think you can. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Um, I think most people do it for the same reason that I do it, which is just fun and, mm-hmm. and learning. But I do believe there is some college credit that you can you can get you by can, taking yeah, these classes yeah. as well. And did you have to? Uh, was there any kind of a waiting list or? It, if you get in early enough, there isn't. But the classes, certain classes, seem to fill very quickly. So it's right about now that they open up their website. And I'm I'm not a paid spokesperson yeah. for McPherson. <laughs> I'm just somebody who's gone there and loved it. Well, that's but, the best. Uh, that's the best kind of spokesperson because you've had a good experience, and yeah. it's just something that you know you're the only person I've ever run into that's d- that's done it. You know, obviously there's a lot of people out there, but it's fascinating being able to talk to someone that's been through the experience there. Yeah, and are you? And obviously, it sounds like you're getting ready to do another one. Yeah, we've kind of narrowed it down to. I, I have four classes uh, looking at upholstery as a possibility. Mm-hmm. They've added a 3D printing and design oh, wow. class, and I would huh. really like to learn how to do 3D printing. You just have to buy your own 3D printer, exactly. though. That's not- <laughs> yes, you're right. Um, looking at um, a drivetrain class, which is transmissions, uh, rear ends, and then we were looking as well at a woodworking class. Oh, wow. And, well, uh, that would be good for your earlier cars, like exactly. the Singer. Does the Singer have any wood in it? The Singer does have a wooden dashboard, okay. and it's actually one of these cars 
cars, and I failed to mention this before, it's one of these cars that's built on a wooden backbone. So that's what I was wondering. Yeah, that yeah. it would have the frame. It's yeah. probably ash. It is ash. Yeah. So you have to be a woodworker as well as yeah. a metalworker wow. on that car. And uh, getting back to the metalworking, I mean, that's always fascinates me when you see, you know, pictures of like, uh, you know, Aston Martins being hammered out by hand in the 50s and 60s. And it's just like, those guys are just artists. Yeah, I mean, just to be able to take a piece of metal and shape it the way they do, no body filler. Yes. And it's just, it's just blows your mind away. It's, it's unfortunate that it's all gone. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's wonderful. We live in a time where we don't have to rely on craftsmen like that in a way, but on the other hand, I think it would be much cooler to say I had a hand-built Aston Martin or Lotus. Or but whatever. there's got to be, but but there it's definitely demand for that though. Because what if, what what happens if you do have your 1965 Aston Martin DB5 or whatever, and and you you have an accident and you need a new fender? Yes, I mean, there is definitely <laughs> someone's going to have to hammer that thing out for you, and you know, yeah, there's definitely demand. Have you um, applied what you've learned so far uh, in your courses to to your cars that you have in your collection i mean like have you rebuilt any motors since then or have you have you bought your own english wheel and you're <laughs> you're making extra parts for the lotus that you have even though it's a fiberglass body you're yeah. gonna have the world's first metal lotus alan uh zusu alan i have not but the good news is i haven't uh i haven't lit my garage on fire with my uh my mig welder as of yet so i've learned uh, how to run a mig welder and welding is a, 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 you know, that's a skill too. Oh, I mean, sure. I, I tried it once at a, a, many years ago, like 35 years ago at a, at a regional sob club meeting and they, they had some welding demonstrations and I strapped on the, uh, the helmet and stuff and I'm like, this is a lot harder than it looks. It is, do it right. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, when you're talking about sheet metal welding, it becomes even harder oh, yeah. because you know, I invariably was blowing through the sheet metal because yeah. everything gets too hot. Yeah. And, you know, kind of back to what you were talking about before, and, the, and in some ways the wonder of, of McPherson is, you know, these uh, these skills are going away. And uh, so people who can build uh, an Aston Martin DB5 Fender yeah. you know, are, are becoming harder and harder to find. And so the fact that they're turning out these kids, many of whom have these skills, mm-hmm. is so important. And I mean, you know, my number one hobby is cars, and I think yeah. most of the people who are listening, you know, that's it's theirs as well, and yeah. I know it's yours, Mark. And you know, to have these resources is so important to keeping our hobby going. And uh, again, I'm not a paid spokesperson, but you know, it's just nice to see these kids who have sort of the same passion at the passion that all of us have. Well, that's and, that's always a, a kind of a recurring theme that we have here on the podcast is, you know. Is everyone aging out of our hobby or is there the, you know, are there younger people coming in? Because, you know, hopefully not every young kid is just fixated on YouTube and gaming. You know, they, right. they hopefully will have, you know, uh, hobbies, whether it be photography or, or, you know, cars or whatever. And one thing that I always kind of find heartwarming is uh, one of the uh, cars and coffees that both you and I attend every summer is the seeing what I call the paparazzi mm. at the entrances. <laughs> uh, so when you come or you go, you've got all these kids that are probably in high school, junior high, high school, with their iPhones and their cameras, checking yes. out all the the, the yeah. Lamborghini Uricons and the and the McLarens and yes. whatever else pulling yes, in promising. and out of there. And it's it's yeah, it's exciting because yeah. maybe they're not into the classics or the resto mods, but they're into the supercars and the more performance stuff. But they're yeah. still interested in cars though and they're getting a charge out of, you know, the way they sound, the way they look, the way they perform and, and that's 
just still the essence of it. Yeah, you know, I certainly hope that uh, that bodes well for the for the future of this hobby. And uh, it's been such a, an important thing for me and in my life, and it brings me so much joy. You know, that I I certainly want to see it continue. And you see some people at McPherson, some kids who just are easily as passionate as we are. Mm-hmm. You know, so that gives you promise that yes, this is going to continue. There are going to be people who can, you know, build that fender or or weld, uh, you know, on the the block or something. And um, so I'm, I guess I'm here to tell you that yes, there is hope for our, <laughs> <laughs> the future of our hobby. Well, it, it kind of dovetails a little bit with um, what Lou and I were talking about in a previous episode that um, I had a attended a um an open house at a uh independent uh Saab Volvo um repair shop uh, a while back and they had about 60 uh, cars that showed up which was a nice nice selection of, of Volvos and Saabs and I was telling Lou that one thing that really struck me was there was a lot of the younger crowd was getting into tuning the the older Volvos yeah. and you're talking we're talking like 240 wagons yes. they're lowering them they're tuning them they're putting these honking big turbos on them and maybe that's not your cup of tea but they're getting into that and yes. and of all cars a Volvo to do that you know just <laughs> your mom and dad suburban mobile yeah. turned into this really cool looking slammed you know uh, uh, hot rod Volvo it's cool so yes, it, I agree yeah and it's 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 that thing that you know they are out there and maybe they're doing it a little bit differently but that's kind of what the car culture was in the 50s of hot rodding they were doing that with their stuff mm-hmm. so you know it's just everything evolves I think that's that's the, the main yeah. thing I think you're right and I you know I I've seen some of these uh, kids at the uh, Cars and Coffee that we go to yeah. or some of the shows, and there's definitely a spark. You know, I, I can think of one uh, 20-something-year-old who has a 240SX that, you know, he, he loves it. And every time I see him, he's telling me what he's doing to mm-hmm. it and, you know, hopping up the engine or improving the, the handling or whatever it is. And uh, it's, it's really nice to see. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is out there, thank goodness. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, real quick, I know you said you have motorcycles, too. I don't even know what kind of motorcycles you have. Yeah. Are they all are they uh, imports? Are they Harleys? What are they? No. Um, <laughs> it's probably going to go the other way, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, and I'm happy to say I have not had 117 motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> I've had quite a few. And uh, not unlike the cars, I've had all foreign bikes. Uh, currently, I just have two BMWs. I have, okay, cool. Uh, two 1200cc uh, BMWs. One is a two cylinder, uh, one is a four cylinder. Yeah. Uh, I did have a really nice Aprilia RSVR uh, up until this summer where I started to realize I'm just too old to ride a full on yeah. sport bike. Ever had a Ducati? Um, I've had several Ducatis. Wow. Uh, my wife has uh, an MV Agusta that I bought for her. Awesome. Which is a, kind of an yeah. odd uh, Italian bike. Yeah. And she's got a BMW as well. And then we have a Honda. So wow. We have quite a range. I like how you always have to squeeze one Asian uh, manufacturer <laughs> yes. uh, brand in there. It's great. And again, it's a Honda, same yeah. as, your, as your NSX. So. For sure. So, yeah, I, uh, I started riding uh, late in life. And uh, I lived in California at the time. And, you know, of course, the wonder of being able to ride in or riding in California is you can pretty much ride every day of the yeah, year. Yeah, year-round, yeah. And uh, became super passionate about it. You know, the thing that's so cool about the motorcycle is in this small package at a relatively low price, you know, you get the performance oh, of yeah. something like a Huracan or... And the engineering you know, is phenomenal, is, is what incredible. they're doing these days. I mean, bikes have become... I mean, they've got ABS, they've got traction control, they've, got, they've got settings like the Manamito or whatever the thing is on the Ferrari steering wheel. 
you know, yes. like for sand, uh, pavement, water, whatever. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. So some of the, you know, some of the automotive technology is spilled over into the mines. Yeah. And they're wonderful and they're, you know, they're reliable. And I, um, I have gotten to the point where I'm starting to enjoy driving my cars more than riding my bikes. Well, let's hope, but, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, part, of it, part of it is just, you know, the amount of time that I have. Yeah. And I used to always, every weekend, hop on, hop on my bike. And uh, at one point, I lived in the Pacific Northwest. You could wake up at 4 a.m. and go for a ride wow. in the summer. and you know, when it was light already. And um, so what the heck are you doing here in the Midwest yeah, after so all that? <laughs> so now it's here avoiding potholes and <laughs> yeah. cold weather. So, but I, uh, I'm pretty passionate about bikes as well. And uh, I guess I'll remain, I think I'll always have at least one motorcycle, but I've gone or going from multiple bikes yeah. down to probably one. Getting back to your car collection, I know this might be a loaded question, but is there anything that you're looking at of, of, getting out moving out of your collection and and anything that that might come in i know you you just got the uh sunbeam recently but anything like uh, are you are you set on your 968 are you keeping that or is there anything that you're you're maybe on the yeah. fence on because i'm always on the fence on you know at least one of my cars like hmm you know this one might be the next one out yeah. and and yeah i came very close recently to buying a um i think it was a 2007 bmw z3 coupe okay so i really like oh, the coupes are awesome and i'm sorry yeah. i said a z3 it was actually a z4 z4 coupe, z4 coupe yeah yeah and i really i I really like the look of the group. Yeah. And once again, it's a car you very seldom Rare. see. Yeah. And I was very close to uh, to trading the 968 for that car. And uh, my wife stepped in and said, why don't you trade my SLK for that car? Yeah. And I did neither. But hmm. um, I, I've kind of had my eye on uh, the Z3, Z4 coupe for a while. I think those are those are kind of cool. I really, um, I think in the next year or so, I'll probably get a um, '80s vintage 911 SC. Okay, yep, classic. Yeah, yep. that's a car that I grew up with knowing. I got a, a, another car guy that uh, hopefully will be a guest on this program at some point in the future too, and he's got an eighty. I think it's an eighty-one or an eighty-two 911 mm, SC. And yeah. It's, yeah, he loves that car. Great it's just cars. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great cars, and uh, you know, I have to say that uh, I mentioned I have the '77, and they. The thing about British cars for me is they have so much charm, and, mm -hmm. and I have to say the older Porsches, you know, are probably similar. I yeah. find that you know I just love driving my old 911. It just has a lot of character mm -hmm. and a lot of charm for me. So, oh yeah, no, so. I, I totally. That's any any. That, I think that's that that's one reason I've always liked the the foreign cars, the European cars especially, is that. You're calling it charm, and and I'm calling it more just like soul or character mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, that's why I was crazy about Sobs for so long because to me they had a soul, they had character, they yes. had something about that, and you can only understand it if you get in it and drive it and live with it because you know what I'm talking about. You're not yes. you're nodding your head, and I totally totally get what you're saying with the Porsches and stuff too because it's like yeah, it's like that. I yeah. understand that, and that's why I think the the thing that we're lacking in in modern cars these days, a lot of them, even people, and I'm not saying anything bad about your NSX, but somebody might look at that and go, it's just too computerized right. or it's too right. sterile or whatever. Yep. There's no, there's not enough interaction with me yeah, driving I, the car. I agree with you. I mean, it's a wonderful car. It's a lot of fun to drive. It, you know, in many ways blows away any other car that I own or yeah. have owned. Yeah. But it just doesn't have the character that some of the older cars have. Yeah. 
you know, I've owned a couple of Sonnets and yeah. uh, B1800ES, and so I kind of understand it from the Swedish aspect as well, and I understand why you're in love with your Saab. So. If you've owned a Saab Sonnet, you definitely understand character. Yes. <laughs> you're absolutely the car right. with the absolutely worst feeling manual transmission ever, because as I tell everyone at car shows, I had a Sonnet once, and I don't know why Saab ever built that car. They just had to compete with the Volvo P1800, I yeah. think. And what they did is they converted the four-speed on the column from the 90 to a four on the floor and it has has i don't know two or three rubber u-joints in it and just has the no feel you never know what gear you're in because it's just (laughs) you're right but it's but you know unique and uh, unique is a one word for it yes yes. (laughs) (laughs) i know it's not your favorite car it's for it's definitely not my favorite sob yeah of all the sobs i've owned that was probably the least favorite i mean at the time i thought it was cool i was in college and i thought yeah this is awesome but i'm like that's not a very good car yeah but character. Oh, know, character yeah. for sure, yeah. It's and a good definitely. one, you know, they they've they've held up a good one. You can buy a really nice Sonnet these days for about 15 grand and mm-hmm. it, you know, I don't think that's going to go down in price. So. I think you're right. So they're, they're you know, they have their following and stuff and that's fine. So if you like following us too, which we hope you do, the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, make sure that you not only listen to us but uh, subscribe to us as well. You'll get an automatic notification every time there's new content here on the uh, Car Guys Report podcast you can catch us on apple Podcasts, spotify iheart google play stitcher and tune in all you have to do is search for radio misfits or you can also search directly for the car guys report and we'll come up and make your life easy and uh, just remember too that uh, when you're listening to us if you could take a moment to rate our show we'd certainly appreciate that we've got a couple of good uh, reviews on apple Podcasts, and we'd certainly like to get a few more and the beauty about podcasting is whatever device you have, whether it's a phone, a desktop, a tablet, you're streaming uh, live or delayed, it's up to you. You can uh, fast forward, you can uh, replay, rewind, you can uh, listen to uh, shows again, you can go back and listen to a previously uh, show that you already listened to. Whatever you want, it's totally up to you. And the best thing, too, is it's totally free. It's radiomisfits.com is the place to go for all these great podcasts, including the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon. We've been talking with uh, Scott Crane. Lou um, Costable is taking the day off. Just wanted to uh, mention uh, a quick promo for Lou's uh, YouTube channel. We always talk about that here on the podcast. It's called My Car Story with Lou. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you do. He's got over 1,600 videos online right now, a fantastic uh, selection of car videos that Lou himself has uh, taped and produced, and he's got over 64,000 uh, followers now, too. So it's definitely something that's worth your time, and uh, just wanted to make sure that uh, you're in touch with My Car Story with Lou on YouTube, and Lou will be back uh, next time. And, of course, we always play the uh, My Car Story with Lou guessing game. If you want to know what that's all about, tune in to the next episode of the Car Guys Report. Lou will be back and there'll be uh, lots to talk about as usual, including what we've seen on the roads, perhaps one of our famous lists, and so much more. But definitely want to uh, say a big Car Guys report. Thank you to Scott Crane. He's been live in the studio today. Certainly had a wonderful time Thanks, talking with you about uh, cars and uh, McPherson College and so much more. Certainly appreciate you taking the time, Scott. And um, down the line, certainly would like to uh, have you back in the studio, yeah. too, so you can tell us about that Lamborghini Huracan. <laughs> and I'm um, just 
curious what color it's going to be. Will it be the screaming green or the uh, orange or what? <laughs> Maybe something a little less flashy. We'll see. So. <laughs> we'll have to wait for that. But again, thanks so much, uh, Scott, for uh, taking time out for the Car Guys Report. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with OpiShows.com. Opi is the word hippo spelled backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place and that would be radiomisfits.com the proceeding was a presentation of opi productions find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts including opishows.com thank you this has been a presentation of opi productions tony can you shut up if you missed los losano or los losano and friends here's what you missed Tony, I think we have to talk about something. All right, let's talk. You spoke about going to see Star Wars again. We need to talk about you in Star Wars. (laughs) I'm proposing that before you see Star Wars again, which I know is going to happen, we need to get at least two other movies under your belt during this viewing season. Empire Strikes Back and Return of Jedi. No, no, <laughs> sir. We need to get something that does not involve laser swords, so to speak. How many times have you seen it, Tony? Seven. Just seven. Just seven. <laughs> Tony, that's over 14 hours mm-hmm. of your life devoted of. to watching one, in my opinion, pretty mediocre Star Wars movie. <laughs> That always scares me a little. (laughs) In a good way. Radio Misfits. Get more. Lozano and Friends. Lozano. Now on Lozano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lozano or whatever the f*** it's called. Direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Hey, hey, Free Kicks is in a very special place. We are in London. So pumped up. Stamford Bridge, back at the old stomping grounds, looking forward to a a great match against West Ham. Chelsea is uh, Adam's favorite team. We're going to get to see them live. You'll hear all about our adventures, exclusive interviews, and we're going to call this episode Free Kicks Across the Pond. Fantastic. Pip, pip, governor. (laughs) (laughs) He hates it when I say that. Don't even do it. (laughs) And listen to us uh, this week on Free Kicks. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, it's shocking news in the world of electric SUVs and pickups. Plus, a rare AMC prototype gets restored. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, and Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.